a series of messages that will take us for the next three weeks called Cultivating Gratitude. Cultivating Gratitude. I'm sorry, Cultivating Contentment. Gratitude is our sermon for today, but the series is called Cultivating Contentment. Um, a lot of times, you know, as humans, we, we long for contentment. We, we all uh, long for a deep sense of contentment and satisfaction and happiness in our lives. And sometimes we, we find ourselves um, striving for contentment and, it, and finding that it doesn't really last or stick. Sometimes we, we find things that make us happy or content for a little while, like a new relationship or a, a new home or a car or a new job or um, uh, the beginning of a new ski season perhaps. And these things make us happy for a little while, but then they kind of go away. And sometimes we can find ourselves in a pattern for many years or perhaps even our whole life searching for contentment and not actually finding it. Um, instead, we, we, we discover that we have been programmed sometimes to search in the wrong places for what we're looking for, for the contentment and satisfaction that we all long for. The writer of Ecclesiastes knew about this quite well, um, about this quest and this search traditionally understood to be King Solomon, uh, but he tried and he tried and he tried to find meaning in life. In chapter 2 he, of Ecclesiastes, he talked about his quest for pleasure, for um, worldly feelings. He writes this, I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, I bought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh, and many concubines. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So here the writer comes to the end of this sort of long search after a life of, of accumulation, coming to find contentment has not been found, satisfaction has not been realized, happiness has not truly been discovered. Contrast that picture with the Apostle Paul who, um, having no concubines, having no slaves, having no silver or gold or building many houses, but instead had given himself fully and wholly to the service of the Lord and to Jesus Christ, had received nothing but uh, rejection and beatings and uh, imprisonments until finally he is beheaded. And while in prison, he writes this to his beloved church in Philippi. 
He says, not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I have learned the secret of contentment. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. Quite different, opposite kinds of images. So what does it take to bring contentment? What does it take to bring satisfaction or joy or or lasting happiness? Even in the midst of of disorientation, even in the midst of, of this pandemic, which continues, it seems, to get worse and worse with our counts here locally, continuing to go up and more deaths happening, how do we find a kind of contentment that is not determined, that is not conditioned upon what we're experiencing on the outside of our lives around us? And that's what we're going to be exploring in the next uh, several weeks, and it's helpful to think about, I think, in the, in the midst of, in, in, of this pandemic, and now even post-election, in light of everything going on, what really does and does not lead to deep contentment and lasting happiness in our lives. And so each week, for the next three weeks, we're just going to look at one uh, key practice, key practice that moves us toward uh, a deeper sense of contentment in our lives. Um, And today we're looking at gratitude. Gratitude is what we're looking at today. Ellie Wiesel, who's Holocaust survivor, Uh, She said, when a person doesn't have gratitude, something is missing in their humanity. Something is missing in their humanity. Gratitude is is good for us. It's not only good for our our heart, our soul. It's actually good for our physical health, too. Uh, Many researchers in the area of of health, uh, maybe you've participated as a medical researcher in uh, research projects that seek to try to uh, understand the connection between gratitude and physical health. And so researchers have um, gathered people together to do empirical studies and other kinds, asking people to keep gratitude journals, um, writing notes of gratitude, and then they study this to see what effect it has on their bodies. One scientist said that nearly every major organ system in the human body is positively affected by people expressing gratitude on a regular basis. Dr. Paul Mills uh, out of UCSD summarized his team's uh, research on gratitude and cardiac patients, uh, heart health. He said it seems that a more grateful heart is indeed a more healthy heart. Gratitude journaling is an easy way to support cardiac health. Isn't that interesting? We we take pills, we exercise, we do all sorts of different things to to, uh, to try to support our cardiac health, but one of the most important things that we can do to support our cardiac health is to cultivate gratitude in our lives and to express gratitude toward others. It has an impact on our brain physiology, our bloodstream, and, and even the, uh, the heart that carries stress in our lives. Gratitude also contributes not only to physical health, of course, but psychological health. Robert Emmons from UC Davis, one of the leading researchers in positive psychology, along with Mike McCullough, did a research project 
uh, where they had people writing down what they were grateful for five times a week for 10 weeks. They tried this, write down what you're grateful for five times a week for 10 weeks. And at the end of that study, what they found was that those who did that exercise six weeks into it, six weeks after the exercise was over, after the 10 weeks was over, uh, were 25% happier than those who did not participate. And they have ways of, of measuring that. Um, but do you want to increase your happiness in your own life? Do you want uh, a greater satisfaction? Cultivate and express gratitude. When it comes to children and youth, there's a, there's a book called Making Grateful Kids, The Science of Building Character. And the authors researched the effect of gratitude on children and youth. And this is what they found. We found that grateful adolescents, ages 11 through 13, compared to their less grateful counterparts, again, they have ways of measuring these things, are happier, more optimistic, have better social support from friends and family, they're more satisfied with their school, community, family, friends, and themselves. They give more emotional support to other people. They're also physically healthier, reporting fewer symptoms of headaches, stomach aches, and runny noses. Isn't this astounding to think about? This isn't just like preacher stuff here. This is science, scientific research, uh, researchers in the area of the sciences who are saying that when kids are regularly expressing gratitude, practicing gratitude in their lives, that they are healthier and happier. How important it is for us as parents to help to cultivate uh, gratitude in the lives of our children. We could go on to talk about gratitude in the workplace and how all of the research that's been done to show that people who regularly express gratitude in the workplace show greater job satisfaction and increased productivity than those who do not. We could talk about gratitude in marriage, in the marriage relationship, and those who practice gratitude regularly in their relationship and show appreciation to their spouse are happier in their marriages and are more satisfied. Um, this is across the board, this research. And so I just want to ask you this question to reflect on this morning, the question that the Spirit has been asking me all week, um, and it's simply this. How grateful are you? How grateful are you? How often do you express gratitude to God and to others? How often do you internally reflect on the things that you're thankful for? Are you teaching your children, your grandchildren, about gratitude and how to be great grateful? Are you expressing gratitude in the workplace, in your marriage relationship? And by the way, when it comes to teaching gratitude to our kids, I've learned the hard way that it doesn't work to simply say, you need to be more grateful. That just totally backfires, right? What, what we need, what, the, what our kids need is for us to uh, model this in our own lives, to example this for them, to be people who are grateful as parents, um, to show them what it looks like with our spouses, with our neighbors, and with their teachers and their Sunday school teachers as well. Um, and, and then we help them cultivate this um, life of gratitude and this attitude of gratitude in their own lives in the same way. Well, that leads me to talk for a few minutes about our scriptures for today that uh, come to us and what they have to teach us, because the Bible 
from the start to the finish, there is this underlying theme that runs all the way through Scripture, which is this idea that the appropriate response for creatures, for the creature, which is us, to the Creator, which is God, is gratitude. That that is our fundamental, appropriate response to the life that we have. This is what we are called to do, to give thanks. It's God who gives us all things, right? The life that we live, the very air that we breathe, the sun that warms the earth, the sun that he offered to, for the sacrifice of the world to save us, and then in his resurrection giving us hope, then sending the Spirit to give us strength and to comfort us. Um, in our response to everything that God does for us, is to be grateful, to give thanks. One passage of Scripture in 1 Chronicles um, that I want to look at briefly, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, King David has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And you remember the Ark of the Covenant. It, it was that gold-plated box that had uh, angels on either side and the Ten Commandments inside of it, and it represented the throne of God and the presence of God himself. It was about 300 years old by the time that David brought it into Jerusalem. Um, and then when he does so, he calls on the Levites, the, the priestly uh, leaders, to gather together, and he calls them to express thanks to God on behalf of the people all the time, every single day, every day, 24-7. And he composes a psalm for this. And the first three lines of this psalm, Psalm 136, go like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is all over the Psalms and the Scriptures. And the word give thanks in Hebrew is the word yada. Yada. If you're with your family or friends right now, go ahead and sit, look at each other and say yada. Yada. And yada means, uh, it literally means to throw or to sort of cast something. And so the scholars believed, the ancient Hebrew scholars believed that when the Hebrews would give thanks to God, they would like throw their arms up in the air as though they're throwing themselves into the presence of God. And this became the posture that um, became the Hebrew word, yada, that became the posture for giving thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, Yahweh, the source and sustainer of all things. This is the call on our lives to do that. And why should we do that then? Well, the, the text goes on to say, for he is good and his love endures forever. Why give thanks? Because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Some of us have grown up with an image of God that is not one of love and goodness. But we've been taught about a God who is harsh and punitive a God where unless you live a certain way and rise up to certain standards of behavior, you will never be worthy of God's love. But that's not the, the God that King David wrote psalms about. That's not the God of 
of our scriptures. Our God is a God of love. When Solomon dedicated the temple to Jerusalem, maybe 20 or 30 years after uh, David's death, it says this in 2 Chronicles 7.3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. They kept it going. They kept it going. This is all over the Psalms. They sang it in the face of battle. They sang it when they were being carried away to uh, Babylon in exile. And Jeremiah promises to them that when they return to their homeland that they will sing this song again. Over and over and over. It's in the scriptures. This is a text. This is a phrase, a, a piece of scripture that ought to be etched in our minds. In fact, um, this morning, um, under a cold shower, I repeated this um, 20 times. These three, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Uh, his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, doing that under a cold shower can feel kind of torturous, but it can also feel kind of liberating as well. But nevertheless, you should etch that in your mind and reflect on it throughout the week. Sometimes we don't feel like it, right? Sometimes we don't feel grateful. Sometimes life is hard and it's difficult. We don't feel like giving thanks. Actually, those are the times when we need to practice the most. It's unpleasant in a particular moment, and yet we're still called to give thanks to God. And our hearts change and they shape um, around our practice. I have a, a good friend who's um, a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor, uh, kind of a large church in, in Arizona. And uh, he has been diagnosed recently with terminal cancer. Um, his wife has, uh, also has terminal cancer. She, breast cancer has returned to her. For him, it's more uh, recent. And they're in their early 30s, I mean early 50s as empty nesters. And, um, and every week, Jim, uh, Pastor Jim, it, um, produces a little video for his congregation to give them an update on, on uh, his condition and what's going on as he goes through this treatment and whatnot. Um, the doctors have said that he has six months to a year uh, left to, to live. And each video, you can see the human body in decline. And each video, he gives an update. And he titles these videos. The most recent one last week um, was called Learning to Receive. In this season of his life, Jim is learning to receive um, love, and support from community, from the church, from his family and friends. He's also learning to receive the small blessings that he would not otherwise notice in his life. And every video is just soaked in this heart and expression of gratitude. It is what beauty really looks like. That in the, as his life declines, what his community is seen as the defining characteristic of who he is, is gratitude. 
what would be the defining characteristic of your life if you knew you had one year left to live? What would that look like for you? You remember the Apostle Paul, he's, um, when he was in Philippi uh, with Silas, and they're in the town square. And you remember, the, uh, we talked about this several weeks ago in a sermon where the, the Roman officials uh, beat them with rods. Remember the fasces that, that Paul and Silas were beaten with? They were flogged and uh, within inches of their life. And then they were thrown into prison, into this dungeon, into a cell, and, and, sh- and their legs shackled. And do you remember what they were doing that night in that prison cell at midnight? They were singing songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And that changed them. That transformed them. It actually caused them to be set free, ultimately. But that in the midst of their greatest suffering, within inches of their life, they still had something to be thankful for. And they still knew deep in their bones that that's what God was calling them to do. You remember Jesus on the night of the Last Supper, and we're going to celebrate communion here in a few minutes. And you know, another word for communion is the word Eucharist, and uh, that comes from the word Eucharistē, which means to uh, thanksgiving or to give thanks. And and so it was Jesus's last meal with his disciples that he established. And in the midst of that meal. His, one of his closest friends is going to betray him, and then he is about to endure the cross the next day. With all of that on his mind, with what is coming before him, with what he is about to face, what does he do? He establishes a meal of thanksgiving to give thanks to God because he knows that the suffering he, that he is going to endure, that God's going to use that for good in the world and for redemption. Do you know that God will use your suffering for His glory, for good in the world? Can you give thanks in these kinds of situations? I know I'm struggle, I struggle with this myself in my own life. Um, I'm challenged by this. I'm bent towards complaining, um, not towards giving thanks. And I'm working on that in my own life. Paul says to the church in Thessalonians, uh, he says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Take that out of context and you think, well, this is just blah, blah, blah. Give thanks in all circumstances until you know who Paul was who wrote this. As you know, with the stewardship season coming up, we're taking some time to discern God's call on the ministry of the church and how God wants us to invest in in our community. Um, And so we're each called to kind of think about that and to pray about that for those who call MOPC your church family and your home. How much do we want to invest in our children and youth and their education? How much do we want to uh, invest in, in the poor, in our local community? How much do we want to invest in, in the king, God's kingdom work um, around the world? How much do we want to invest in, in worship that is compelling and inviting for those who are seeking you, O oh God? These are the questions that we're discerning. And, and I just want to say that as you think about that and prayerfully plan with your families, um, take some time to, uh, to reflect gratefully 
on the blessings of your life that God has given to you. Not only just blessings of the church, but your blessings in your family, uh, your friends, your workplace, your health, your location, where we live. And as we, we do this um, kind of discernment with grateful hearts, Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. And so when we practice gratitude, it prevents us from giving out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of sort of shame or guilt. And it prevents us from being boastful about our giving if we have so much that we're able to give. Instead, it causes us to be grateful and humble that we might be cheerful as we, uh, as we go through this season and humble. So as I conclude this morning, I'd like to take a moment now in prayer. And I'd like to invite you to, uh, to close your eyes wherever you are and take um, a couple of deep breaths. And just for this um, next 30 seconds or so, would you just simply say, God, I am grateful for. And then whether you write it down or you say it under your breath, just name five things that you're grateful for in your life right now, quietly under your breath. And perhaps with your eyes still closed uh, in another deep breath, listen to this meditation from the book Wellspring by Anthony DeMello. I set out in search of the source of happiness. I look minutely at the life of a happy person who is poor, then talk with him, attempting to discover what makes this person happy. I think of a joyful person in poor health in physical pain, and talk again, searching for what it is that makes her joyful. I do the same with a happy person who has lost his reputation. I walk into a prison and am amazed to find a happy person even there. She tells me what it is that makes her happy. Then I observe unhappy people who are free and wealthy, powerful, respectable. I talk to them, and as they talk to me, I listen carefully to their complaints. Yesterday, I had occasions to be happy that I wasn't even conscious of. I see them now. It is inconceivable that anyone could be grateful and unhappy. I thank the Lord for each event of yesterday and notice the effect this has on me. And the things I call unpleasant, undesirable, I search for the good that comes from these, the seeds for growth they carry, and find reason to be grateful for them too. Finally, I see myself moving through each portion of today in gratitude and happiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.